Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 17th. Before we start today's show, I do once again owe all of you listeners an apology for the lack of episodes on this feed over the last three days. Now, I promise it's not because we took a vacation here at Cracked Rackets. No, it's because we had the opportunity to do some pretty cool things at the 2022 Western and Southern Open. We got the chance to spend Sunday through Tuesday at the 1,000-level event happening this week on both the ATP and WTA Tours. Not only did I have the opportunity to serve as a member of Press Row, also had the opportunity to serve as host of the 2022 College Showcase event they had on the grounds in Cincinnati, technically Mason, Ohio. I know they would want me to say, and I do owe a shout-out to Eric Buderak, the entire Western Southern Open team, our friends at Tennis Point, their vision for the event in Cincinnati. Cincinnati moving forward. It's one I think every tennis fan can get behind. They want fans to have the opportunity to engage with players, engage in the matches at Cincinnati in ways you're just not able to at other events. And certainly a storyline we haven't discussed, but a big one in the tennis world is the changing of ownership of the Western and Southern Open. Ben Navarro buying the event, of course, the Navarro family already owning the events that happen in Charleston on the WTA Tour side of things. Will they move the Western and Southern Open? Certainly, all of us tennis fans here in the Midwest of the United States hope not. And again, if I'm Ben Navarro, I'm giving the keys or keeping the keys in the hands of Eric Buderak because I just believe in his vision for this event, and that's a topic we will discuss at length, perhaps on a different occasion because there's a lot of tennis for us to catch up on given the lack of episodes over the last three days. And I know I still owe all of you a recap and my thoughts on the finals that happened in Canada. Certainly they were exciting. Simona Halb finally earning that feather in her cap, that definitive title run. It's been a spectacular season for her statistically, but now she adds another 1,000 level title to her resume. Of course, Pablo Carreño Busta has been, I don't want to say one of the guys, but he's just perennially been in the mix over the course of the past decade. Now, he too lacked a signature title run in his career. He finally gets one via his first Masters 1000 title in Montreal over Hubie Hercots. Both of our championship matches went three sets. Both of them featured extraordinary tennis. I want to break those down, those matches down, excuse me, in depth, but I'm not going to do that on today's podcast. I want to focus on Cincinnati now. We've turned our attention to that event, certainly my attention has been in Cincinnati over the course of the past few days. As such, just want to get everyone up to speed on what happened in round one of the men's and women's singles draw, what you can expect in what is truly a loaded field in Cincinnati this year. So that's what we're going to focus on on this podcast. Now, we've got like an 11-hour drive ahead of us here at Crack Rackets HQ. Myself, Daniel Westoff, Dalton Thieneman, the holy trinity, the true Holy Trinity here at Crack Rackets, all headed out to Pennsylvania for the LS Pro Challenge event. We are excited to bring that to you all this Friday and Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. And of course, we'll have videos, interviews from the players' party, interviews with the players participating, whether it be top 100 player Hugo Gaston, this year's junior Wimbledon boys singles finalist Michael Zhang, and others. So excited to get rocking and rolling at that event. But of course, again, with Cincinnati ongoing, time for us to get you caught up to speed on everything 
that's happening at the Western and Southern Open. Of course, two quick plugs before we get to my thoughts on all of the tennis I watched on Fold A. If you haven't already, go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. We have had some fantastic opportunities to speak with the players participating in this week's action in Cincinnati. If you want to go hear some extended conversations, tune into Tuesday's episode. I spoke with Tommy Paul, Borna George, and Alex Diemenauer each after their victories. I got about four to five minutes with Tommy Paul and Diemenauer. I got about seven, eight minutes with Borna George. That was a very fun back and forth. Probably our most revealing conversation we had in Cincinnati. Again, if you want to go hear from the players themselves, go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Day one was a mega podcast. Corda, Garone, you know, Rafa, Radakanu, a lot of cool names on that first Cracked Interviews podcast. So again, you can find those shows wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Cracked Interviews podcast or just go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, the other plugs I have to get to are the people who support this podcast day in, day out, our supporters who under understand the necessity of having a daily podcast with all of the matches we have to catch up on again. I feel like this podcast could be two hours. I could talk about each and every match I watch. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and run through a little bit of everything. It's certainly going to be one of those podcasts where inevitably I will talk faster than I should, and I apologize as a host. I know I do that. I know that's not preferred. For some of you listeners, I would love to know what, with my speed of dialogue, what I sound like at two times speed, which somehow podcast listeners listen to podcasts at two times the speed. One and a half, I get two times speed. Are you a serial killer? Like, how do you listen to people talk that fast and try and comprehend, let alone retain any of the information that you're hearing. But maybe that's not what you listen to podcasts for. Maybe you listen to them for the entertainment. Certainly, I hope we provide that here at Cracked Rackets. Again, a shout out to all of you listeners who continue to tune in. A shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. They've got the best equipment the best prices, all in one location. They're massive supporters of the Western Southern Open. They understand the necessity not only of keeping fans up to date on everything happening in the tennis world, but providing the fans opportunities to see these players in person, see them compete uh, out on the grandest stages that this sport has to offer, and certainly the Western Southern Open, one of those stages. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. The way you can support them is turn them for all of your tennis needs. Tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. And then, of course, shout out to one of our new friends, but a friend we are starting to get to know quite well here on these uh, mini break podcasts. And that, of course, are our friends over at Manscaped. And look, does your happy trail ever look more like a happy highway? It's not a question you may ask yourself, but it's a question you should be. And does your bush peek out over your fence? If you had to even think about the answer, you need the revolutionary products from Manscaped. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. And Manscaped's Platinum Plus package, let's try that again, Manscaped's Platinum package will make sure you're prepared when opportunity strikes. Join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code NEW. 
two balls, please. As I alluded to last week, it was hot on the grounds of Cincinnati. I didn't want to be a mess. I needed to look presentable for when we had these interviews with the Demon Hours, the Borna Chorches, Tommy Pauls of the world, of course. Uh, when you're stepping into the press room, you just don't want to be sweaty. You don't want to be a mess. Our friends at Manscaped will make sure you have everything you need to make sure the below-the-belt maintenance is where it should be, whether it's the Lawnmower 4.0, the Premium Body Wash, the Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. Of course, they've got the Crop Preserver Ball deodorant. Never forget that Crop Preserver Ball deodorant, the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. You can't follow up the ball deodorant, or excuse me, it's not a solo act. It's doubles here. You got to have the deodorant. You got to have the ball toner. Your smell's going to be top shelf, and you are going to be presentable in person again. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code NEWBALLSPLEASE. Use the platinum package because the gold standard is no no longer good enough. Manscaped.com. That promo code is new balls, please. All right. With that said, let's start on the women's side of action because the biggest storyline going on right now in women's women's tennis and perhaps in tennis in general is the impending retirement of the greatest of all time, Serena Williams, 23-time Grand Slam singles champion, I believe 14-time doubles champion. She won the career slam, you know, the career golden slam, including the Olympic gold medal, all after the age of 30. And again, countless accomplishments for her before turning 30 as well. We're still, you know, again, we are all bracing ourselves for her impending retirement, that U.S. Open going to be her final event of her career. Of course, all of us as such running to the opportunity to see her play. And all of us, you know, certainly uh, looking forward or were looking forward to the first round match between her and Emma Raducanu with Raducanu coming uh, up to the U.S. Open. Certainly she's got to defend, what, 2,000 points uh, starting in a week and a half. And, you know, even if she gets to only the fourth round, and the fourth round would be incredible, but even if she gets to the fourth round, she's still going to fall precipitously down the rankings given she's hovering around 500 overall on the year. We all uh, love the generational battle that is Serena Williams versus Emma Raducanu. I think the stat was floating around. Certainly, Serena Williams had won her first Grand Slam by the time Emma Raducanu was born. Had she been world number one already? I believe the answer to that question is yes, but you know, again, Emma Raducanu grew up watching Serena Williams win the biggest matches on the game's biggest stages, and certainly for Serena Williams, just the opportunity to see her on court. I think that's storyline enough for people to want to show up to the match. And there was a bit of a controversy, which just to briefly address, it was announced she was going to play Monday night. They ultimately switched the schedule. She ends up playing on Tuesday night. There were people who certainly bought tickets, weren't thrilled about that fact, although you know, I didn't mind Monday night's matches. Shapovalov Dimitrov was certainly a fun one, even if that was on grandstand. And look, there was so much exciting tennis throughout the course of these first few days. We can get into all of it. But the promise of Serena Williams is a promise above all others. And certainly, you know, the Western Southern Open face justified criticism for that decision at the same time. And you have to look at the flip side of the argument. A, there were still pretty solid tennis matches that Monday night, even if it wasn't the pro- announced, I should say, Serena match. B, Serena Williams was very much thinking about pulling out of the tournament 
due to injury. And, you know, certainly if you watch Serena play against Radicanu, Radicanu ultimately uh, I don't want to say cruising because the first set certainly got a little bit complicated, especially after 4-1 down. Serena Williams gets one of the breaks back, narrows the deficit 2-4-3. But, you know, Raducanu was rock solid, and her level did not vacillate in a 6-4-6 love victory over Serena Williams. And, you know, again, Serena was very much considering not playing this match because it sounds like her body isn't 100%, and you can understand why. For Serena Williams at this point of her career, obviously has played now, what, four total matches here on the season? And, you know, at 40 years old, it's going to be a little bit trickier for the body to recover, especially after as much time off the court, you know, out of competition as she has had, you know, as such— the tournament decided, let's move the match to Tuesday. Let's at least give her a shot physically to try and compete in the match. And there's no denying, Serena Williams got off to a slow start in this one. Radakanu raced out to a 4-1 lead and the big stat that was talked about in the press room after the match. And I had the opportunity to ask Radakanu a question after the match. I'll be sure to post that question, her answer, uh, at after this show, but I wanted to allude to it here was I wanted to ask her uh, because plenty of people had already asked her, you know, what was the mental challenge coming like for Radakanu and coming out of the match? That was one of the biggest takeaways. Again, I warned you, my brain's going to scramble in this podcast, warning you in advance, although that's not a new concept, but you know, Throughout the course of the press conference, a lot was focused on the mental challenge of facing Serena Williams because it was her first matchup against Serena. Serena's on her retirement tour. You know, Raducanu openly acknowledged that the crowd was going to be pro-Serena, not anti-Raducanu, but pro-Serena from start to finish. And Raducanu not only accepted that fact, but embraced that fact, embraced the pageantry of the moment and you know, did an excellent job of staying calm, staying focused, and to get full circle, the big number that was floating around one unforced error from Radakanu throughout the course of the match. That was exceptional. And there were moments when Serena certainly heated up. Again, 1-4 down in that first set. She started playing a little bit more aggressively on the return of serve, connected on a couple of on-the-rise, both down-the-line and cross-court returns. But Radakanu just kept the pressure on physically. And again, I wanted to ask Radakanu what how what did she think about her level of tennis today? I had the chance to ask her about her level of tennis in 2022. And for that answer, go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. It was a fascinating to hear her talk about adjusting to the speed of the professional game, how she thinks she's making massive strides physically, but there are some aspects of her tennis she needs to continue to work on. But tonight she said the biggest focus was, again, staying present, staying in the moment, point by point, not thinking big picture, not thinking, okay, I'm about to close out the greatest of all time and I'll be 1-0 and in my career against Serena Williams. No, it was about not making the unforced errors, about not allowing Serena to do anything easy. And look, Raducanu's always been an exceptional returner. You look for Emma Raducanu, and it's still very early in her career. She's still, I believe, played fewer than 50 tour-level matches uh, overall. Yeah, still lower than two, uh, 50 tour-level matches. But, you know, she breaks serve 38.6% of the time in her career. Last season was 372 This year, she's actually taken 
taken a leap forward. She's up to 39.5%. That number is a top 20 number on the WTA Tour. And, you know, her ability to absorb the Serena serve on her backhand wing in particular, she was just taking all time away from Serena with her return of serve, taking that backhand early and just peppering it either A, at the feet of Serena, or B, past the service line in the outer thirds, forcing Serena to be stretched. And, you know, Serena hit a bunch of unforced errors. She did not have one unforced error. She had a plethora of unforced errors, particularly as the match went on, and it just became a little bit more difficult for her to move in and out of the outer thirds of the court. But credit to Radicanu, who stayed remarkably steady. And again, Radicanu's heating up a bit. You look for her, you know, in this hardcourt stretch. I thought she played really well in wins over Chirko Osorio in D.C. before getting knocked out by Samsonova. But, A, that Samsonova match was a doubleheader day, and she had played Radicanu, you know, a two-hour, 50-minute match. Or not doubleheader day, but it was immediately the next day after the two-hour, 50-minute match against Osorio, and there was no day off because of the rain in that week of a D.C. But I thought she played really well there. I thought she played a really good first set against Georgie in Canada despite losing that match in straights and then today again just rock solid against Serena Williams and was the better player and you know again for her to acknowledge all that Serena has meant after the game and in her immediate post-match press conference on court rather than talk about herself she just talked about you know again let's give it up for Serena Williams and for her to discuss just you know in the post-match presser uh the opportunity she's just prepared for stardom all of her answers come from a place of you know yes it's 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 the the answer you would want to hear the answer you would expect to be given but it's 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 given candidly it's given honestly it's given thoughtfully I'm a big fan of Emma Raducanu, her presence in the press, and just, again, her perspective on everything she's accomplished through the first year of her career. And, you know, in a big moment, she gets a massive victory, but obviously now she's going to really have to turn uh, and flip the calendar quickly. As for uh, Raducanu coming up next, it's not going to get any easier. She's going to face Victoria as a rank. I believe that match is today, and she faced Serena last night in the night session. And so, again, it's a 24-hour turnaround for Emma Maradakanu, even if it wasn't the most physical match. As for Serena, just quickly to put the final bow on it. I mean, look, again, physically, it's going to be tough for her to win two consecutive matches at the U.S. Open, let alone the seven that would be needed for that dream run. That said, you never count Serena Williams out. There were moments when she was connecting on the return, when she was landing first serves, where she can play on her terms. But, you know, again, if you're expecting the movement, to look even like 2019 Serena, let alone again 2012 or 20, 2006 Serena Williams, you're just going, you're asking yourself to be fooled at the same time. It's still remarkable to see her competing and more than anything, would love to go see her go out on her own terms. Now, Ben Rothenberg floated the hypothesis on Twitter uh, of her and uh, Venus electing to play doubles at the U.S. Open, maybe even in a lieu of singles and just You know, because, again, it's a little less physical. It's a little more about shot making and finding your rhythm. And certainly when Serena finds her rhythm, she does seem uh, to, I mean, she can still hit the forehand, backhand, serve like Serena Williams when she catches it in rhythm. Uh, And it might just be a little bit easier for her to find those pockets of rhythm in in rhythm in doubles as opposed to the physicality 
require to find success in singles. And it's an interesting hypothesis. I'll say this. If she is injured, as it seems like she, I mean, obviously she's banged up at this point of her career. How could she not be? But if she's not physically able to put forward the singles performance she would like to, I think more than anything else, all of us tennis fans would love to see her compete in doubles. And again, the skills are still there for her to have doubles success. So just an interesting hypothesis from Ben Rothenberg. Again, I think all of us just want to see her compete. Singles, doubles, it doesn't matter to us. Hopefully, it also wouldn't matter to her. But again, just an additional thought there uh, and some final thoughts on that Raducanu-Serena match. Probably did too long on that, but impressive for Raducanu, who just, again, was the better player from start to finish. That said, one of the other matches that really stood out to me from the first two days was Simona Halep, who, of course... Comes off of winning the title, a bunch of physical matches. Yeah, she won a bunch of them in straight sets, but just about every one of her matches got complicated at the end in Canada. And, you know, she had a few days off. She had, what, the night on Sunday. She had all of Monday before stepping onto the court on Tuesday, but... That's a ton of tennis for Simona Halep, a ton of high-level tennis, those quarterfinals, semifinals, finals consecutively on the weekend. It's a tough turnover to make. How frequently do we talk about that post-title run hangover, whether it's Kasakina, San Jose to Canada, whether it was Demonauer, Atlanta to Washington, D.C.? You know, there are countless examples you can point to of it being a real thing. You know, that said, it certainly felt, like Simona Halep watching her three-set victory over one of the rising talents, former world junior number one and, what, Istanbul champion, and I forget where she made the finals of a few weeks ago on the WTA Tour, in Anastasia Potapova, Halep just emptied the gas tank in that match and ultimately earns a 6-4-3-6-6-3, two-hour, 11-minute victory, you know, even beyond the tennis just watching the physicality of Simona Halep in person is remarkable. She truly is a generational competitor. And I mentioned all the stats in the semifinals, how, you know, most finals appearances alongside of Serena Williams at the 1000 level of any player on the WTA tour since the 20, uh, 2009 season. She's made, I think it's 18 1000 level finals, obviously a two-time Grand Slam champion, a world number one. Simona Halep's a Hall of Famer. No if ands, or buts about it. And, you know, is she the best player of her generation? You know, and if you include in that generation Kerber, Kvitova, Wozniacki, is Halep the most accomplished player of that generation of players? If the answer is yes to that question, the foundation of your answer is going to be based upon her competitive spirit. I mean, again, you could see she looked like someone, and um going to speak to a personal reference here. I imagine many of you listeners have done this as well. If you haven't lifted weights in quite a bit of time and you decide to lift weights one day, the opportunity presents itself. Say it's the morning of a wedding. You know, it's your oldest cousin's wedding and you want to look a little bit buffer just in case there are any cute girls that catch your eye or any cute men that catch your eye, vice versa. Um, You get that pump in, you do what you have to do. The next Five days, you regret that decision because it just feels like every bone, every tendon, every fiber, every ounce of your being is aching with soreness. That's what Simona Halep looked like on court at times against Potapova. And yet, Simona Halep continued to just will herself 
to that extra ball. And if she gets her hands on the ball, it's landing service line or deeper. And of course, all of us are well aware now of Halp's ability to move the ball around the court, in particular against Potapova. She was very disciplined in employing, you know, the no more than two balls in the same direction tactic. She forced Potapova to continuously stay on the move. And, you know, ultimately the unforced errors piled up for Potapova in pockets of time as they are occasionally prone to being. In particular, I thought Potapova lost control of her forehand in the third set. And, you know, again, Halep raced out to, I believe it was a 4-1 lead in the third. She found ways to manufacture enough easy points behind her first serve in particular. Her first serve slice out wide, I thought, was probably the single biggest differentiating weapon on the court. Her slice serve due side out wide just to open up the plus one forehand anywhere. She had a ton of success doing that throughout the course of the third set. And, you know, she wins 64% of her first serve points for the match. Neither player uh, had that much success on the second serve. Uh, both players faced over twelve, or over 10 break points excuse me, throughout the course of the match. Halep was broken 6 of 12 times. Potapova broken 7 of 18 break points. Look, it was a physical ground stroke game sort of affair. You open up the smallest of crevices to attack behind. And I was really impressed with Potapova, who, as the match progressed, particularly set number two, she goes down 6-4-3-2, set in a break. She just got into back wall mode. And I think she noticed Halep was a bit achy, physically kept pulling on the legs. And by the way, Simona Halep's ability to vacillate between I'm going to break every racket out on this court and just a calm, tranquil, I'm in complete command of my skills mindset, it's actually incredible that Simona Halep is able to do those things. And so, you know, again, credit to Simona Halep for finding that calmness to start the third set, just getting a little bit more aggressive on the first serve, taking a little bit more pace behind her plus one ball, and then just locking in physically throughout the course of the match, finding the will to compete. Now, I think Kudermatova is going to beat her today. Just I don't think there's any gas left in the tank of Simona Halep, but she had just enough to get over the finish line against Anastasia Potapova. A tough loss for the 21-year-old Russian, but a fantastic victory for Simona Halep. With that said, let's kind of rapid fire through some of the rest of the results. Look at the draw we have now at the Western and Southern Open. Certainly, uh, you look at the Iga Sviantec quarter of the draw. Sviantec getting ready to get her tournament started today against Sloane Stevens. Stevens Cruz, she looked really good against Alize Cornet. Cornet just couldn't hurt her. And so Stevens, what was it? 6-1-6 love. That's a fun opening round match from a physical perspective. But, you know, again, Iga's just the better version of Sloane Stevens at this point. Two extraordinarily twitchy, explosive athletes. Sviantek's just a little bit more solid. Um, how about the power tennis contrast again? Madison Keys versus Yelena Ostapenko. And won't it be fun to see each of those players take a swing at potentially the world number one? Ostapenko with the firepower she presents. Obviously, they played a really fun match early in the season in the Middle East. Keys, if she can be healthy, her serve, her forehand, we know they present elite power tennis. It's a really fun section of the draw. And again, it's a loaded quarter. Sviantek Stevens, Keys Ostapenko, Buskova, who advances after Coco Goff rolls her ankle. And the good news, Goff informing all of us, it seems to be a mild sprain. She should be fine for the U.S. Open, but 
Certainly a big opportunity for Buzkova, who continues her success qualifying uh, for this event. And, you know, very winnable match. She's favored, according to Tennis Abstract, against Ali Risk. Now, will she be able to hurt Risk? That's the question, because if you give Risk enough chances, she is going to hit through you. But, you know, give me the physicality of Buzkova in that one. And then I think this match got pushed to court four, which speaks to how incredible the day of action is on Wednesday. Rabakina faces Muguruza. I mean... We all know how good Elena Rabakina can be, who got uh, cruised in her first-round victory. It was like an hour-long, three-and-two-something sort of match. Garbin Muguruza might fall out of the like the top 100 of the rankings. Again, it's been tough sledding for her this year. Under 500 overall. Tough match for her to get started here in Cincinnati. But certainly that's a fun one as we look again, kind of going through the rest of the draw here uh, on the women's side before we'll quickly flip to the men. Bedosa is going to kick off her campaign against Tomjanovic. Bedosa had to pull out against Pretensiva last week with an injury. Hopefully, she's healthy for Tomjanovic. Good to come through qualifying. Good first-round win for her. Three sets physical match night session against Taylor Townsend. That was a fun, fun physical affair. Um, again, Bedosa should win. She does everything better than Tomjanovic. How healthy is she, though? We'll find out. And then again, I think Kudermatova should beat Halep. I just don't know how Halep has anything left in the tank. Kudermatova, an impressive 3-3 three and three victory over Krachikova. I mean, Kudermatova could find herself in another quarterfinal here. Uh, and for Veronica Kudermatova, you look overall on the season. She has made eight quarterfinals this year entering Cincinnati. That's tied for third with Halep third most on the WTA Tour this season. She could find herself in a ninth quarterfinal. The draw has broken right for her, and right now, Kudermatova currently sitting, uh, I believe, she's got to be, yeah, a tenth in the WTA points race. Tenth! She could qualify for the Tour Finals. She's 18th, the 25-year-old, in the live rankings. That's a career high for her, and deservedly so. She's been that good this season. The draw has opened up for her. That would be one of my sneaky storylines to watch, of course. Shout-out to Petra Kvitova. Impressive come-from-behind three-set victory against Jill Teichman in round number one. She fought off a match point with a very impressive uh, plus-one volley and uh, plus one, excuse me, ground stroke and confidence behind it and then steps into a return of serve at the feet of Teichman. Teichman's unable to land it. And, you know, then today, a bit of a comfortable straight set victory over Serana Kirstea, who won just a weird three-setter against Belinda Bencic. Kvitova is playing really well. It's going to be interesting to see Own Jabour looking to get her hardcourt season going against Katie McNally, who gets her first win in Cincinnati in front of a ruckus crowd. Shout out to McNally, who's serving forehand, still are. I don't want to say elite weapons, but top 50 weapons, certainly capable of that. Uh, if you're asking me who comes out of that quarter, I would take Kudermatova as a potential semifinalist. Wow, but it does feel like she ha- was striking the ball that well against Krachikova. Going to go through the bottom half of the draw quicker. Maria Sakari eliminated by Caroline Garcia last night. Caroline Garcia has just just emerged as one of the players of this 2022 season. And of course, she was a top 10 player in the world, I believe, as high as number four in the world rankings. Garcia currently 20th in the points race. You look for her in the live rankings now, the 28-year-old back up to number 32. Uh, just she when she's landing strike first, playing strike first tennis with the confidence she plays with an aggressive baselinder. You know, it's Ben Chichesque. It's It's not the elite, elite Sabalenka, Rabakina, Anisimova, knock your socks off sort of power. And she's a little bit more erratic than all of those players as a returner. But 
There's a reason she's top five in hold percentage this season. Impressive uh, victories for her over Marchage, and then last night over Sakari. Tough. North American stretch uh, for Maria Sakari thus far as she's lost matches to Shelby Rogers in San Jose. You know, beat Sloan in three before a loss to Pliskova. Now a three-set loss to Garcia. She's not playing poorly. She's just not getting over the finish line. Uh, a bunch of good matches in this section. Pagula Kostyuk, good win for Kostyuk. Strange. She had match points, was down three love in the third. Uh, ultimately earns a three-set victory. She's going to take on the most consistent player. So you have the most erratic in Kostyuk versus the most consistent in Pagula. Radakanu versus Vika. How healthy is Vika? Apparently the question. Then Pliskova versus Mertens. If you're asking me for a pick, man, I don't know if I can give one in this section. It's really freaking good. I would like to see another Pliskova-Pagula battle. I'll take Pliskova to ultimately advance. And then Sabalenka. T- kicks off her campaign against Kalinskaya. Shelby Rogers, uh, very impressive, dominant straight set victory over uh, Kennan in round one. Rogers is a top 20 player on hard courts. Just, again, the power tennis. She's able to play her movement on this surface where she's clearly most comfortable. Just gives her that much more time to get her feet under her shot. She advances to the round of 16 via withdraw. Anisimova, unfortunately, out with, I believe, an ankle injury. She'll await the winner of Sabalenka-Kalinskaya. A good win for Ekaterina Alexandrova was down... I think 3-love and 4-1 in sets 1 and 2, respectively, against Leila Fernandez. But look, ECAT, one of the, I believe, yeah, one of the 5 plus 4 is 9. One of the 9 players on the WTA Tour this season to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. When she gets hot, the line drive tennis she can play. It is very Benchich-esque. I figured out that's the comparison for Alexandrova. Moves a little bit better than, than Benchich. Not as much pop. As Benchich, not as dominant on the, doesn't have Benchich's serve, certainly, but can move a little bit better in the outer thirds as well and plays that sort of line drive tennis. She'll take on Jung Shui, who knocked off Naomi Osaka in straight sets. Osaka got off to slow starts. She just returned horribly. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. Just couldn't land returns in play. Wasn't playing particularly comfortable. And so ultimately found herself uh, eliminated in the first round. And as Ben Rothenberg pointed out, what were the circumstances of her winning her first U.S. Open title in 2018? Well, it came after she lost first round matches in both Canada and Cincinnati. And that's the last time she lost two consecutive first round matches at a on hard court. So is that a sign? I'll leave it up to you listeners. That said, of course, the final one, uh, Annette Conteve comes back from a set down, endures the rain delays, ultimately a three set win over, in my opinion, someone who's playing really good tennis in qualifier, Teresa Martinsova, just the line drive tennis from the baseline. So impressive. Uh, again, Martin Sova ultimately able, uh, knocked out by Annette Conteve, a much-needed win for Conteve. I'll take her to advance out of the section, her or Sabalenka, just to ensure that I'm definitely wrong. But again, her, Sabalenka, Rogers, they're all capable of winning the tournament. I mean, why not? Is anyone playing definitively better than anyone else right now with Iga's recent struggles? She still gets the benefit of the doubt, but no. Parody's the name of the game on the women's side, and again... Who were the most impressive players to me in person watching this week? The power of Rabakina is stunning in person. The fight of Halep, particularly impressive. The steadiness of Radakanu, the explosiveness uh, of her first step and her backhand. It was better in person than I expected. The power of Shelby Rogers, always fun to watch in person. 
Uh, those were some of the standout players for me thus far. And, you know, again, nine players heading into Cincinnati, ranking top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Those players, top 10, Sviantek and Halep, which, of course, makes more sense after Halep's title in Canada. Von Drusova, who's out of the U.S. Open, unfortunately, with another injury. She's top 15. Buzkova, who's been the 250 and qualifying superstar. She's the Avashka Greek spore on this list. Uh, she and Own Shabur, who should be top 20, slam finalist, top five player in the world unequivocally. Uh, she's top 20. And then top 25, Pagula, Alexandrova, Krachikova, and Ostapenko. That's interesting. Now, some of the other notables, Anisimova, she has the fourth best win percentage on tour, 73% behind just Halep, Jabour, and Sviantek. She's also got the tied for sixth most quarterfinals with Kasakina trailing just Jabour, Sviantek, Halep, Kudermatova, and Bencic. She's also top three in top 20 wins. She belongs in the top 10 conversation, is what a look at the metrics tell me. And again, Kasakina, Sviantek, Kudermatova, Halep, Anisimova, Haddad Maya, those are the players that, you know, those are the seven players that have really, and Ashley Barty at the start of the year, who's obviously not included, uh, and Elena Rabakina wins Wimbledon. So she's the one left out, but outside of Rabakina, you know, those are the players who have stood out throughout the course of this season. I do think Jill Teichman's eight top 20 wins, which ranks tied for third with Anisimova on the WTA Tour this season, that's an outlier number. That's the one number on the list of stats I have in front of me right now that makes the least amount of sense and, you know, speaks to her upside, but we're going to have to do some unpacking of that stat at some point on this show. With that said, I've made an impromptu decision. What I, because I spent far too long on the women's side, not far too long. I spent the appropriate amount of time breaking down our four quarters of the draw, talking about what was again, an outstanding first few days, um, what I've decided to do impromptu, because I think we're going to have to post these podcasts on the road, uh, I'm just going to record more road podcasts for you, and I'll offer you my thoughts on the men's action. I want to offer you my thoughts on everything that happened in Canada in the finals on Sunday as well. So it'll be a multi-part mini-break day here at Cracked Rackets. When exactly are we going to get them to you? I am not entirely sure, but I know it will be because of the work of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, due to the lack of time he has to edit, I will just say does a fantastic fantastic job not going to swear today but shout out to him as always shout out to our friends at tennis point and manscaped as well remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 also be sure to check out all the latest equipment at manscaped and make sure you use our promo code new balls please when you do as well with that said for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point and from all of and manscaped and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all later today Thanks, everyone.